1: Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. We are here in the dog days of the college football calendar, mid to late February. Uh, Miami does have plenty going on in terms of coaching search, and, and we'll probably touch on some of those things here in this podcast, but uh, with it being recruiting, dead period, and you know the team is going through off-season workouts, there is that going on, but uh, we figured it'd be best to just open this podcast up to our subscribers at InsideTheU.com and have a mailbag format podcast, kind of just talk on the things you guys want uh, to talk about, hear about. So uh, we have a podcast format, podcast format, mailbag format here for this podcast. And uh, we will answer as many questions as we can get to in a decent amount of time. So, uh, before we jump into those questions, let's get a quick word in here from our sponsors. Attention business owners, I'm going to say three words you've probably heard of by now. Employee retention credit. If you're a business owner with W-2 employees and you haven't explored this program, you need to schedule a call with our friends at Foreman Law Offices, ASAP.
0: The employee retention credit can put thousands of dollars back into the hands of business owners. However, the rules are complex and have changed many times since the inception of the program. You need to have a qualified law firm with experience in the ERC. Evaluate this for your business. You won't owe them a dime until you get paid.
1: All you have to do is go to erclawyers.com and fill out the short questionnaire to schedule a call with their team. Two minutes may be worth thousands of dollars for your business. Get it done today. ERClawyers.com Tell them TTS sent you for Through the Smoke. The Star Horton Group is a real estate company that covers all of Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. Born and raised in Miami, Star is committed to growing his clients' wealth and securing their futures. One of the top realtors in the state, Star knows the ins and outs of the market to make sure his clients get the best possible value when they sell or buy.
0: If you're looking to buy or sell or know someone who is, call or text Star directly at 561-573-4661. And here's the beauty. When you refer someone to Star, he will donate $250
1: to the Miami Hurricanes Athletic Fund in your name upon the closing of the deal. So to have a great real estate experience and help our canes, call or text star today at 561-573-4661. All right. We appreciate all our sponsors for supporting the podcast. Thank you so much. It means so much to us. Um, All right, Gabby, let's do it. First question comes from Meat, who asks, Outside of Jeremiah Smith and JoJo Trader, so they are the two five-star wide receiver uh, prospects out of Shamanon Madonna here locally. So outside of those two guys, what wide receivers do you expect to be prioritized at this stage of the recruiting cycle?
0: Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a good question. Uh, just because I think everyone knows that wide receiver, especially outside wide receiver, is such a priority and such a need. Uh, that again, I think the who Miami tracks at wide receiver. Uh, I I think is is one of the big storylines of the twenty twenty four cycle. I would put probably stack like outside receiver with like you know the interior defensive line as two of maybe some some of the more important positions uh definitely some names that i think miami fans need to kind of be aware of uh one is a uh, five-star micah hudson out of texas uh he's someone that i know that they're definitely definitely recruiting one of the top receivers in the country uh last i checked in uh he was being very you know receptive to Miami, kind of listening and hear, hearing them out. So I think Micah Hudson is definitely one of those names we want to circle. Uh, Ryan Wingo out of St. Louis is another five-star that Miami's been pursuing. I think he came down last summer. Uh, I, we'll see if he gets down back down to Miami again, but I know that's a, a name that's really high on their board. Uh, I think a January offer, Mylon Graham, out of the state of Indiana. Uh, he's he's someone I really really like. I think he might end up playing with like the raw seven on seven team. So he's someone that hopefully will be able to get eyes on. Uh, he, I think uh, I think it's Notre Dame and Ohio State are doing a really good job recruiting him. Uh, I, I'm a big. I mean, I think the tape is really fun to to watch. If you guys want to, you know, turn on that Mylon Graham tape. Uh, Chance Robinson out of Fort Lauderdale, St. Thomas Aquinas. I think is a is a really big time. A local option again I think it's uh, you know whenever you can keep those top guys home I think that's always the best route I think Chance Robinson is someone who you know can definitely get it done on the outside for Miami I think he had a really big junior year and I'm a I'm a fan of what he what he's done in pads Uh, Jeremiah McClellan he's another St. Louis kid Uh, I think he's a top 247 kid that Miami offered that he's definitely one to know Uh, DeBron Gatling is a Texas A&M commit out of Georgia uh, Miami's definitely recruiting him. I know that they've kind of been on him. Uh, definitely one of the top, you know, receivers on the board. Terrence Moore out of Tampa, again an in-state option. Uh, David, I know you've been able to see Terrence Moore too. He's a big, what, six foot three? Uh, I would say 190, maybe pushing 195 pounder out of the Tampa area, uh, originally from Key West. Uh, so I think he has a three, he has a 305 area code on his cell phone. I, I figured he was from Miami, but he's actually from Key West. So uh, that's definitely one to know. Uh, out of Fort Myers, David, Year, neck of the woods, TJ Abrams. Uh, I believe he plays at Dunbar. He's actually committed to Florida State, but he's a, you know, a really, really speedy uh, wide receiver. I think he went, I think he was like a 10, I don't know if it was 10, six or 10, four, but he was in that mid 10 range in the hundred meter. So definitely a guy who, who can turn on the birders. And I think another interesting name is Gatlin Blair. Uh, he's out of Idaho. So definitely not a state that you kind of typically find uh, elite skill talent from, but he's a big kid who, again, I think he's, in, he's in that 10, four, three range. So he can definitely scoot. Uh, I think he's a, an interesting one too. And then uh, I think another just big, uh, big body Parker Livingston out of Texas. I think, uh, you know, he's someone that Miami offered relatively recently too. Uh, that's a, that's another, you know, big body that can move that. I think, uh, you know, again, th- th- this is just kind of casting a wide Early net, on. obviously. Yeah. yeah. This is just a kind of just like a group of names that I think it would be important to track. Obviously there's, there's more, but I think uh, that's a a fair group to kind of get an idea of where their heads
1: at. I think it's fair to say, you know, in my opinion, at least, I think the ceiling of the Mario Cristobal offensive era here at Miami is going to be defined by how he does landing these elite or special playmaking wide receivers, uh, you know, In these last few years of the college football playoff, yes, quarterback play defines a lot of the success of those teams. Uh, Having really, really good, talented defense, defenses that have depth, is also a trait that most of those college football team playoff teams share. But also, too, most of these college football playoff teams have at least one dynamic playmaking wide receiver. To feature, And so I do think that is an area where Mario kind of gets negative recruited, you know, and look, there might be some truth to that, um, you know, that the development at wide receiver might not, might be a weak point from his time at Oregon, uh, development or production, however you want to frame that. Um, and so I do think, look, getting a guy like Shannon Dawson as your offensive coordinator makes Miami more attractive to the wide receiver position. And frankly, I think Mario Cristobal is going to have success recruiting every other position. He showed it at Oregon. He's showing it at Miami. Now, Um, you know, I just think he's got to level up the outside receiver talent, kind of what you're alluding to the two guys. They landed uh, in the 2023 cycle, Nathaniel, Joseph, Robbie, Washington, are talented guys, but you got to keep stacking. And Nathaniel's a slot guy. Robbie's a guy that can kind of do both, Um, but you got to keep stacking. And to the point of the question, to me, it starts at home. And so it starts with Jeremiah Smith and Jojo Trader. I think you got to split one of those two. You got to at least get one of those two. Um, And then from there, like you're saying, Gabby, I think you got to go national, you know, Alabama recruits nationally at wide receiver, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, it's definitely a position to monitor. And I think Mario Cristobal showed a nice understanding of, um, you know, attacking a potential narrative out there against him with the hiring of Shannon Dawson. Anything else to add there?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess a couple of things. I mean, just I, I feel like Mario Cristobal has recruited elite wide receivers before. I mean, just kind of looking right. back, this isn't everyone at Oregon, but Troy Franklin was, uh, you know, top 50 talent in that 2021 class. I mean, he's had a great career um, at Oregon. Dante Thornton, who's with Tennessee now, a, a top, you know, 100 talent. He had t- right. uh, Teter Teteroyo McMillan, who was like a freshman All-American at Arizona. He flipped to Arizona after Mario Cristobal you know, made the move to Miami, he was committed to Oregon. So that would have been one of the top receivers in on the West coast uh, that, you know, that he would have been able to bring to Oregon. And those are basically, you know, guys and, you know, again, you know, just within, you know, the past couple of cycles. So um, I do think he's, you know, he's been able to recruit the receiver position at a high level, right. but this was after, you know, maybe a couple of years of, you know, getting kind of, you know, that footing down in the program, So he understands the importance of it. And, you know, again, I think his track record has proven that he is capable of, of attracting some of those uh, wideouts. So uh, I do yes. think it's, it's important that that's kind of, you know, in the frame of, of mind of Miami fans that, you know, this is something he can do, has done before.
1: Yes, I think he can do it. He, it's one thing to land guys. It's one thing to allow guys or, or you know, having guys flourish once you do right. land them. Right? right. And so then that allows you to land even more in the future etc, etc. So um, yeah, wide receiver is definitely a position to keep watching here in this 2024 cycle. Next question comes from Mitch Good, who asks, what are your expectations on recruiting this year due to the on-field play last year, the 2022 season? um, I know they are capable, striving for a top three to five class, but more of what is likely due to the terrible play of this past season. So basically the question is, yes, we know Mario Cristobal wants to sign a top five class. Um, That's the goal every year. Um, But is that realistic considering Miami's coming off a five and seven 2022 season?
0: I think it is. Uh, Again, I think those are the expectations, you know, kind of, you know, going back to the question, those are the expectations within the program are to sign, you know, top five classes year in and year out, you know, along that, anywhere along that range. Um, You know, that was, I mean, I I think that it's fair for us to have those expectations because those are their expectations. And yeah, Miami had a terrible year, but they still ended up signing, you know, what, it ended up being like a top seven class or something like that. I mean, it's still a very, very good class. I mean, a couple wins here or there probably could have kept that thing into the top five. I mean, that's definitely a discussion that we can have. But I do think that there's a lot to be, kind again, optimistic about with the program. I still think, I mean, these guys are, you know, maniacal recruiters. Again, I think that this is something that, you know, if they stack two consecutive really bad years, let's say they go five and seven again, you know, then I think we can have you know, maybe, you know, a more serious conversation about what are really the expectations here for that 2025 class. But I still think it's early enough in Mario Cristobal's tenure where it's like, hey, yeah, you know what? We went five and seven in the first year for, you know, you you definitely eat that, you wear it. Um, You accept it, but look, look who we still attracted to come in here. Look who's on the yes. way to come help us get this thing right. We signed two five-star tackles. If you're a quarterback, you know, you're going to be pretty well protected. You know, you know we, we signed, you know, all these, you know, these defensive linemen. We signed a couple All-American cornerbacks, you know, all those different things. I think you kind of show them like, hey, look these are, these guys are, this is what the future of our program looks like. It looks like this 2023 class. And, you know, just me talking to some of these 2024 class guys, I mean, that's some, that's some of the feedback that I'm getting in almost every single conversation. It's like, yeah, you know, look what they did. And look what they did last cycle. Look what they did right. last class. You know, I think kids are you, these, these kids see the vision and understand that, you know, if these guys bought in, you know, why, you know, I can buy in into and We can get this thing kind of rolling. So I don't think that the five and seven is as scary as maybe some people think it, it it is or should be i do think that they are doing a good job of selling this into hey look we got all these guys in we're going to play these freshmen these guys are going to come in and contribute you're going to come in right after them you can come in and contribute and you know you guys come in another class comes in and you know we can get this thing rolling really really quickly yes i think what happens on the field in 2023 is going to you know maybe help dictate is it going to be able to glue to get stay so glue to get glued together Uh, you know, if they don't perform again in 2023. Sure. I think at that point in time, we can have that conversation, but I think right now, I mean, I don't think the five and seven is like looming over them, like this big cloud where they're not going to be able to get kids. Um, I still think the expectation should be top five class, uh, you know, and then again, anything within that sort of range, I think would be, you know, idea. I, I don't think they were satisfied with the number seven class. I think they were, you know, when everything kind of started shifting and they fell out of this, like, I mean, I do think that that matters to them. They want to be able to sell. We got a top five class. We want to stack another top five class. We want you guys to be better than the last class, all that stuff. So, uh, you know, I think we got to keep those expectations where, you know, the program has the expectations.
1: So I think, you know, there is an immediate example here in terms of a new coach off to a rough start and still maintaining some recruiting success year over year. And that would be Texas. So Texas in the first year of the Steve Sarkeesian era went five and seven and they signed the number five class in the country that season. This past season, they leveled up to eight and five uh, and signed the number three class. And so, you know, look, they made that type of jump that I think Miami is trying to make a realistic you know, eight win-ish type jump, um, year over year. And I think if Miami is able to do that, I do think a top five class is realistically in play here in 2024. Um, you know, and look, I think it's worth highlighting kind of similar to what you were just saying, but let me echo it with some data that I think really highlights how good of a recruiter Mario Cristobal is, um, you know, you look at the top 10 recruiting rankings here for the 2023 cycle. I'm going to go through, you know, in order of the recruiting ranking finish and, and highlight what their season record was here this past season. So Alabama, number one, went 11 and two. Georgia next, 15 and 0. Texas third. They went eight and five. Oklahoma fourth in the rank, recruiting rankings. They went six and seven. Then it's Ohio State, 11 and 2. LSU, 10 and four. Miami at seven, they went five and seven. Oregon, 10 and three. Tennessee, 11 and two. Notre Dame, nine and four. So Miami is the only team in the top 10 that did not make a bowl game. And that's not some that's not the badge of honor you want to wear, uh, but I do think it highlights, look, if Miami shows some modicum of success in 2023 on the field, it's going to translate into even more recruiting success in terms of stacking talent. Because that's what, at the end of the day, is the biggest, the number one predictor of success on the field is stacking top 10 recruiting classes. And if you stack top five recruiting classes, you have a chance to compete for championships consistently. So this cycle should only uh, yes, Miami did not land the top five class. They they sought out to land when the cycle began, uh, but they went five and seven and uh, still signed the number seven class. And so I am emboldened by that. I am uh, impressed by that. And I think it's only going to carry over into greater recruiting success when the results on the field improve. Anything else to add on that, Gabby? No,
0: I think we crushed that.
1: Money can be the root of all evil when you don't understand it. A couple of bad decisions shouldn't continue to affect us years later, and the path to recovery shouldn't be as painful as the regret. Everyone at some point needs help with their financial situation, and Pride Financial can lend that helping hand. Pride Financial offers a patient and judgment-free environment and will provide you with the knowledge and power you need to realize your dreams. Once they identify your goals, they will guide you to the finish line, holding your hand every step of the way.
0: Repairing and building credit is only the first step. They'll educate you on a variety of banking and financial institutions, what resources they offer, and how to maximize funding for your financial needs. Gain access to a vast network of realtors and licensed dealers to receive outstanding deals on prime real estate and the newest vehicles to fit your lifestyle. They even offer education and services to
1: assist those more involved on the business side of things. Text 305-393-7698 or email globalchoice-consulting at yahoo.com to book a free consultation with Pride Financial. And let's take pride in our finances. Next question comes from eight one three Kane Squad, who asks, "Still feel the same about James Coley coming? I know David felt good about that a couple weeks ago, so I'll take this. Um, yeah, I'll admit uh, I don't feel as good about that right now. Um, and and I'll say this: when when James Coley was in the mix, you know, when I kind of hinted that, yes, I feel good about him being on the staff in some capacity." I kind of assumed that he was being explored for a co-offensive coordinator role. And there was some ambiguity there in terms of his conversations with Miami. Um, And, you know, it turned out that when he did interview with Miami, it was straight up for the offensive coordinator job. And I think he had a very strong interview. And I think there's some people that feel like he might have been the number two guy. He might have been the runner up to Shannon Dawson in this process. Uh, now, is the co-offensive coordinator thing still on the table, you know, with with the wide receiver coach job open? I do think uh, diversity on the staff is kind of an area of focus right now with this wide receiver uh, position coach higher as it should be. And um, so I think it's tough to see James Coley in that role. Uh, Now, if it were me, I'd find a way to get James Coley on this staff. He has coached tight ends in the past. And again, if it were me, I'd explore that as an option, co-offensive coordinator tight ends. Uh, I've talked about how I think he can be an asset to this staff. Uh, He's a tremendous recruiter. I think you would give Mario Cristobal another guy on the staff that he trusts and will listen to. You know, I think having Mario's an intimidating guy. And so I think if you don't really have a, a prior relationship with Mario, you can be intimidated and just kind of approach him with a yes man mentality. And I don't think that's beneficial. I think he needs more guys like an Alex Mirabal who will from time to time tell him, things that he needs to hear that might not be easy to communicate to Mario. So that's my take. Do I, do I still feel good about him being on the staff this year as I did a couple weeks ago? I don't. Um, but, you know, it could be something, I guess, that explored down the road. So we'll see. Shirtless Sheriff asks which two players so one on offense and one on defense takes the biggest step forward this off season i'll let you take this gabby
0: yeah i mean this is interesting just because i feel like you know obviously we're still kind of wait and see mode with how you know what the offense looks and all that type of stuff but just you know just from our perspective with the information i'm gathering i don't know we got those speed numbers uh yesterday right david i guess those surfaced on social media i was I mean, I thought that it was pretty notable that Colby Young, you know, went 21.31 miles per hour. I think that put him in like the top, I think it was like number eight on the team or something like that. And just kind of talking to people, you know, around the program, it does seem like Colby Young is having a strong off season. Uh, it's not, you know, he did have that two game stretch last season, right. That he went like back to back hundred yard games. Uh, I do think the feeling was that because he was like a July edition that All his right. body kind of hit like a physical wall. Uh, just with the strength in terms of strength and conditioning, you know, all that stuff that goes into, you know, the, a power five season. Um, and I do think that there's some optimism that, you know, with a full winter or like, you know, that period that he got, and then a yep. full winter workouts, a full spring, full summer full fall, all that type of stuff that, you know, he could end up really being or maybe just producing more consistently, being a more consistent option here uh, in 2023. So I'm buying some Colby Young stock. I think that's a pretty impressive speed, I guess, in comparison to his peers. uh, You know, just what we saw from the wide receivers. And uh, I think Colby Young at 6'5", 215, uh, producing the fastest time, I think is something worth uh, kind of highlighting so I think on offense you know I think Colby Young is someone that maybe we could see take that step and that would obviously be big for the reasons that we've kind of highlighted a million times on this podcast that you know we definitely need an op- an outside receiver to emerge Colby Young doing so would be would be pretty sweet and then defensively I'm, I'm gonna go Wesley Besaint, uh, just because I do think he's gonna step into a bigger role Uh I do think you know linebackers I think kind of flourished in that Lance Goodry system especially you know at Marshall Um, I do. And I think that Wesley was could be one of the benefactors of this new system. I think he's really intelligent. I think he has natural leadership characteristics. I think towards the back half of that 2022 season, we saw him kind of, uh, you know, take those next steps where he can maybe be relied on a little bit more. And, uh, I do think that, uh, you know, in 2023, I think, uh, you know, Wesley Bussain is someone that could really take a step forward where he's maybe a full-time starter and again, maybe even a high level contributor to the point where we're talking about him as, you know, one of the better linebackers in, you know, maybe the conference and, you know, maybe even beyond. I don't know. I think Wesley Bussain is is good enough to to definitely take that step.
1: I like those answers and I agree. I think seeing Colby Young run a twenty-one mile an hour uh on the GPS, I found kind of surprising. Um so i think that's a good nomination this might be cheating i don't know but i year over year i think it's fair to say tyler van dyke cuz i think oh yeah you know going back to an offensive system that we kind of know now suits him a little better than what miami was running last year so i might cheat and take tyler van dyke i would also take and this is just from like a ceiling potential perspective uh jaleel skinner is kind yeah. of intriguing to me. So yeah. I think there's a lot. Was he on that top 20? Oh, yeah, Jaleel Skinner. That, he
0: he was like on the top five. Like he was like 21. Let me see if I can find it here really quick. Bad so he's podcasting a guy right with,
1: here. with impressive physical traits and, uh, you know, got to clean up the catching consistency. Yeah. Um, but I think he's a guy that'll benefit a lot from another year.
0: 21.47, good for seventh best on the team. So, okay. I mean, I think that's kind of freaky at his, at his size. Right. And even right. just kind of sizing him up recently, like he looks like a new person compared to the one that, again, that I saw first game of his senior year, his first time at IMG Academy when they came down to American Heritage to play. I was just right. like, man, this is kind of like a rail thin, awkward looking dude. Uh, almost kind of looked like a baby giraffe in a, in a lot of ways. And like who I saw in January, just kind of being around for recruiting stuff and all that. What we well, are seen Jaleel is just like, wow, man. I mean, he's really, really – physically developing and I still think he has a ways to go too so I mean Jaleel Skinner is definitely someone that I think is trending in that right direction and then that speed time I think is, is is pretty big time
1: and defensively you know again the approach I take with this question you know I'm looking at guys with high ceilings a lot of potential that can take a big leap year over year where either the light bulb can just come on or just comes on even more um And so Wesley was a guy that I certainly had listed, but I would also put a guy like a Nigel Lee Kelly second year in the system, talented edge rusher. Oh yeah. Uh, Leonard Taylor, I think is a guy that there's still more meat on the bone for him to take another leap and James Williams, I would put in that category too. So I'm giving you a bunch of names there, but I think on defense, there's a lot there's, there's talent there that still needs to be developed and hopefully the light bulb can come on another guy that's on that speed list well two guys uh at the cornerback spot where it'd be great if if the light bulb comes on this year uh Jaden Harris who oh, I yeah. guess is the fastest guy in the team yeah. and I think he was
0: last year when we were doing this last year weren't we talking about like Jaden Harris like oh, apparently He's... posted the fastest time or anything yep. like
1: that yep and so gotta show up on the football field with that speed right. um and then Chris Graves, too, was high up there, too. He oh, was, definitely. what, like 4th Fourth. yeah, okay. 21.78. So
0: you so, can definitely
1: move. So, you know, it's just, you know, development is not a linear thing. And so for some of those guys, it, it might not be this year. It might be next year. But hopefully, more times than not, it ends up being this year. Um, next question comes from Kane Cowboys. A receiver that I feel like has been forgotten is Jacoby George. Is he a receiver that can step up in your opinion? His flashes have reminded me of Amon Richards, but obviously hasn't put it all together yet. He's a guy that I hope takes a massive step in this scheme over the spring.
0: You want me to take this one?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I'll say like, for me, just the potential is there, right? From a talent perspective. But he needs to take the next step with his process of maximizing his potential. Uh, How hard is he going to go in the strength and conditioning program? You know, like, yes, he's made some changes to his body, but he kind of looks the same, you know, physically as he did when he arrived.
0: He definitely does.
1: Why is he getting suspended, you know, uh, to start the season last year? Uh, is he going to put in the extra work to understand this new offensive system and, and, you know, understand how to read defensive coverages and how to win against those different looks? You know, and this this is not just such a Colby thing. This is just like a cultural thing that needs to change with Miami in general. Um, this isn't high school. This isn't seven on seven ball. Being talented isn't enough at this level. You have to do the extra work. Do the extra little things, the little detailed things um, that can separate you from people that just show up, and you know, do the do the bare minimum. Uh, and so, if he, this twenty twenty three calendar year, if he uh, changes his approach, uh, there's definitely talent there to be developed. Um, and you know, look, I I think from a mentality standpoint. I hope he has the approach of, you know, go out and take a job, go out and assert yourself with that approach every day. And so if he does that, he could be a significant contributor. Uh, But if his approach is the same as we've seen here through these first two years, um, you know, it's it's not going to work out.
0: Yeah, well, just to add to that, like Miami's like actively looking for receivers in the transfer portal. Like, let's say they were to get a guy like Gary Bryant to come in. Like, Gary Bryant's coming, and guess whose role he's, you know, potentially you know, sliding into, I mean, Jacoby George, I think the fire needs to just kind of light. I do think that, the, I mean, just like other side of the coin, I do think that this offense could be potentially beneficial for a guy like Jacoby George. I think we saw well, what maybe it was a Texas A&M game where he was yeah. able to show that flash of making someone miss and taking some of that extra stuff. We didn't see it like super consistently or yeah. anything like that, but a big part of this, you know, that quote unquote, air raid offense is, you know, getting hit the, the playmakers to ball quickly in space Making putting them in in a position to make their guy miss and go, you know. So, I do think that Jacoby George has some of that. But I just think we need to see a little bit more juice from him. And I do think, like, look, this is an offense that could be maybe more catered to a guy like Jacoby George where he can flourish in this offense. But I think everything that you mentioned, David, goes so much into it. Like I think there is opportunity in front of Jacoby George to have a really productive 2023 season or to really just take an opportunity and just and grasp a role, but you have to go do it. It's not you can't just show and go here and just believe like, you know, I, I'm just really good and talented. So I'm just going to kind of go. And obviously, uh you know, the wide receiver at Miami isn't the deepest. It's not like there's a ton of, you know, guys that are going to be clawing and all that stuff. But I mean, again, these guys are going to go out into the portal now with a, with an offensive right. coordinator who is going to run a favorable system for the offense. Like what this may window looks like. like I mean, you could, e- I could easily see them going after a wide receiver or two and be like, Hey, come play in this. Look what Nathaniel Dell did. Right. Look what this guy did. So, if you're not on it, if you're not ready to go, like I think these guys are going to look to replace Jacoby George. They're going to look to, you know, find a guy that's going to take Jacoby George's spot. So, I think if you're Jacoby, you need to take this opportunity seriously because there is one in front of him. He just needs to go find, he needs to attack it with that mentality, David, that you're talking about every day and kind of go get after it because there is talent there. Like we've we've seen that from Jacoby George dating back to his high school days. I mean he made he's made a couple of the craziest catches I saw at the high school level when we were watching him play down there. Like he has he has it, but there's so much more that goes into it. Like you know, just like you were saying, man. So uh you know I would like to see Jacoby George take that next step. I mean I'm not buying the Amon Richard comps. Like I don't think I've necessarily seen that from him. But um you know I do think that he's someone that can be you know productive in this in this new Shannon Dawson offense.
1: Yeah, we saw a little taste of it, right? In uh, the what was it—the final game of the twenty twenty-one, right? Season when he he had what like three catches for seventy yards against Mm -hmm. Duke or something, and a couple acrobatic catches. So you're right. I mean, a big part of this offense, you know, it puts defense, it spreads defenses out, gives the receivers the ball in space, and a lot of times if they can make that first defender miss, it's a big, big game which Jacoby George has that potential, um, but you got to go earn that opportunity. Uh, Next question comes from Set 27 Now that coordinators are in place, do you foresee a few more players entering the portal from us? uh, And more importantly, any standout players from Houston or Marshall, possibly hypothetically, obviously, jumping over to us. So, you know, I'll just say this on the front end like just the nature of modern college football off-season, I would expect more players from Miami to jump in the portal during or after spring. I just think, you know, that's part of it especially considering now that you know, I think they're kind of embracing the purge aspect of this rebuild at this stage of the Mario Cristobal era. And yeah, I think in general Miami's going to explore every transfer addition that makes sense, uh, you know, in that May window. And those connection points are definitely something to keep an eye on uh, in terms of Houston or Marshall. I'm not like hinting at anything, but, you know, I, I, for me, you know, specifically with Marshall, to me, they had a couple of corners that I think are, you know, the caliber of player that could start at Miami. They had a middle linebacker that I think could start at Miami and they had a good edge rusher that I think could definitely contribute at Miami and, you know, not saying anything like that's going to happen or anything like that, but there's good players all over the country. And if those players felt strongly about playing for coach Guidry or coach Dawson, the portal definitely is a conduit to make that happen.
0: Yeah, I mean what what I'll add just because I feel like I don't know, maybe that's just how I took the framing of the question. I don't know if that players are going to enter the portal because of the new coordinators. Like I don't know oh. if it's gonna be like like just like because it was just like now the coordinators are in place, Do you foresee a few more players entering the portal. Like I don't think anyone on offense has been like, oh shit, like, yeah. Could. It, it, it could, but I don't, I mean, I mean, we'll see. I mean, again, I think if you're an offensive player, I think you can be like, oh, you know, this is an offense where, you know, maybe kind of a fresh start and all that stuff. I don't know if anyone's looking at Shannon Dawson and being like, oh, I'm out now or looking at right. Lance Gidry and like, oh, I'm out now. So, I mean, I think maybe if there's uh, you but know it transfers could come
1: and- like the other direction where, coach Dawson or coach Gid, you're like hey you're just not a good fit here yeah you know it's, yeah. it goes both ways
0: right right so I mean I can I mean yeah I mean we can, you can always you know anticipate maybe more guys entering the portal but uh, I think we'll I mean I think we just still, still got to wait and see obviously there was a really long window for guys to kind of hit the portal and there was a lot of uncertainty for like from Miami's end during that window uh, so I do think that, you know, a lot of guys are maybe going to, st- so I mean, maybe a few more guys are just like, Hey, I'm going to stick it out for spring. Let's see what happens. And, and then maybe, yeah. maybe see after that. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, we saw some more attrition, uh, you know, post spring, yeah. during spring, all that stuff.
1: Embrace it. I think yeah, the portal both ways can be a good thing right. for, for any program. Um, Kane Cowboys. I know David is a big proponent of Chikari Brown redshirting this year. While I agree he needs to be developed, the short yardage and QB run game adds another element defenses have to game plan for every week. Redshirting, I feel like, used to be a big thing to preserve another year of eligibility. I know, but I think Jakari getting three to five package plays a game can only help him develop further going into the 2024 season. Thoughts? So, I'll say this. I think everything you say is fair. And I think development can be view- viewed multiple ways, like you're saying. Redshirting, I think, is a way to develop. And I think, you know, like you're suggesting, playing three to five plays a game can also help a guy develop in some ways. Um, I'll say this, I think I would put that decision in Jakari's hands and say, look, would you be open to this? And if Jakari says, I'd rather just take the red shirt and work on my skills as a passer, I think you should listen to that and respect that. And I don't want to speak for the young man, but I do think that's how he would feel about that uh, situation. So, um, you know, I think everything you're saying, though, is true. His running ability and athleticism is an asset for the future when slash if he wins the starting quarterback job um and you know, look, I think if we're being honest, last year Miami was forced to use Jakari as a runner. And, you know, I think ideally that isn't the case in 2023 because ideally you've improved your run blocking uh on the offensive line. And ideally you have big body backs, whether it's Travante Citizen, Don Cheney, Mark Fletcher, that can be productive in those situations. And I think Jakari embracing the development process via the red shirt is a good thing. I think that should be celebrated and respected. He played in a high school program that didn't really emphasize the passing game. And so he missed out on on a lot of that skill work that comes with that, uh, you know, that players in like California or Texas or even Florida, quite frankly, get playing in systems that highlight The passing game. Um, And so, you know, if he wants to go get those 10,000 hours, so to speak, working on his skill development as a passer, I would embrace that. Um, And so, look, I think if Chikari develops and maximizes his potential, the payoff is going to be special. And so, I would give him all the room needed to make that happen.
0: I guess just what I'll add to there is you know i think shannon dawson was brought to miami to run a an offense that you know highlights what tyler van dyke does well i think best case i mean i think miami needs to obviously it needs to they need to improve in 2023 and i think the best way miami takes those steps is with a with tyler van dyke who's running an offense that he's comfortable with that highlights his skill sets that emphasizes what he does well and again like Jakari brown as a runner I mean, you, like, hopefully, you know, you go out, you go get Matt Lee, who's a center who's absolutely crushing the Aussies, and based based on you know what I've been able to gather, you get go get Jv and Cohen, who's a, a twenty plus game starter at the University of Alabama. And you pair him up with a with a couple more offensive linemen that should be kind of ready to go. I think the hope is that you don't, again, like what you said, David, you don't need Jakari Brown to go in there three to five times a game to try to grind out one or one yard or to try to just maybe throw off the tempo or or whatever It's just bring something different. I think you hope that you know the 11 that you got can go get you a yard if you need that. And again, and red shirting in 2023 looks much different than red shirting did what, five or 10 years ago, you can use Jakari Brown in four games, you know, Th- there can be yeah. situations and places where Jakari Brown comes in and you're able to utilize his skill set, maybe more as a wrinkle every now and then again, up to four games. I mean, that's what, like, uh, I don't know, a quarter of the season, you can use Jakari Brown in certain situations, and certain sets, you know, in, in games where, where maybe he can be best utilized or you kind of need him. And, but I think best case scenario for Miami in 2023 is this offense really helps Tyler Van Dyke kind of find who he was back during that 2021 season. You know, this offense kind of gets rolling, you know, they're able to run the ball better. Uh, You know, you have some good young backs, Mark Fletcher comes in, does what he needs to do. You have Henry Parrish, you had Don Chaney, Trevante Citizen comes back, helpfully. help healthy hopefully and you got a better stable of backs who can go get more because the protection is better and then you got a couple hopefully you know the receivers kind of take that next step or they go out and get a couple more receivers who can make plays and you're running an offense where you're not looking over your shoulder and be like oh do we need jakari brown in this situation and you don't because the offense has just gotten better naturally so i think this year for jakari taking that step now that even he's got a a taste for what college football is like over that true freshman season. And now taking that year to develop where he has that frame of mind, where I know what it's like to be in the line of fire. He can, I feel like that even can help him going into 2024 kind of having that experience, going into that competition of being like, all right, I know what it takes because I've had to do it, but I've also taken the time that I need to really develop as a passer and do all those things and take those steps, really embrace this offense. And then I think that that is best case scenario for him to flourish, you know, in the future. So I would be, again, like David, I mean, you said that's something Jakari would be, would be in favor of i mean i would i mean just from an outsider's perspective that's what i would be in, in favor for for him because i do think he's talented i do think that he has the chance to be special down the line but you also don't want to burn through two years of eligibility with the quarterback like you said David hasn't spent a ton of time throwing the football really or just needing to throw the football because of you know the way that he kind of came up so uh for those reasons you know i am all for the chikari brown red shirt and again, throw them into four games, throw them into a couple wrinkle packages where you force defenses to adjust in certain situations, um, you know, all those different types of things. But, you know, I think you preserve that red shirt, uh, you know, as best as you can.
1: Yeah. And I, to the question, you know, the point of the, the question I think is fair though. I think Jakari did, you know, he was thrown into the fire last year before he was ready. And similar to what you're saying, I think he did develop because of that playing time he got last year. Right, um, but at he the got same that point, development, <laughs> right. But at the same time, he there's a lot more we we learned that there's a lot more to go in terms of areas to improve with Jakari. Uh, but we did learn he's a gamer, you know, and we did learn that there is a lot of potential there, uh, especially in that that game he won at Georgia Tech. So. Um I think if the young man wants to redshirt, embrace that process. Um Ohio Kane 2005 asks, how concerned are we with the lack of speed at the skill position? Saw the top 20 mile per hour numbers, and it's worrisome. So I do agree that there needs to be more there. And to me, you know, it just highlights the challenges Miami faced on offense at 2022 and the improvement that still needs to take place via talent acquisition. Um, you want to run through the, the names, Gabby that did crack the top 20, um, you know, and I would assume too, there's probably some guys that aren't working out because of injuries, et cetera, that would crack 20 miles an hour. Um, but really, you know, if we're being honest and, and trying to view Miami as a nationally relevant team. They don't have enough guys over twenty miles an hour. In my opinion, I think that's a fair statement.
0: Yeah. So here, I mean, here the just from a wide receiver standpoint, Colby Young, the fastest, fastest recorded time, twenty one point three one miles per hour. Uh, You got Rashard Smith, second, twenty one point one four miles per hour. Uh, Jacoby George, fourteenth fastest on the team uh 21.07 miles per hour you got isaiah horton which honestly this was kind of promising too yeah isaiah horton uh you know six i think he's listed as six foot four 205 pound uh redshirt freshman 21.02 miles per hour and then um i think you gotta you gotta walk on jefferson walls 20.89 right. miles per hour but yeah you know I, th- I i mean i would agree that you would like to see more receivers in that category um but you know again i think that uh there's still ways Especially- to improve the roster
1: especially because you know these miles per hours are not with pads yeah and so you know i think if you're not cracking 21 miles an hour and you're you know and you're not in pads that's not great you know we look at nfl time nfl guys that uh you know on their gps systems um These are the fastest of the fastest, but these are in NFL games. So they are wearing their full pads. Uh, You know, you have guys that that crack 22 miles an hour in full pads. Uh, That's kind of the speed it takes in a lot of ways to be a game-changing player. So only one way to improve that, and that's with talent acquisition and development. And uh, I will say to the development side, I think there's something, like, there's obvious development happening if Isaiah Horton and Colby Young are cracking the 20-mile-an-hour mark. Definitely. I think those were kind of surprising to me. Definitely. Um, But there needs to be more. Um, Next question comes from G. Fernie. Best guess on candidates filling out the rest of the staff. Uh, So, yeah, this question was asked before – um, the Tim Harris Jr. at running backs coach was reported on, um, so that's now one of those uh, voids being filled on staff. Tim Harris Jr., uh, Dade County guy, played at Booker T. Coached at Booker T. Coached at FIU. Um, I think for Mike McIntyre when he was hired at yep. FIU here recently. He promoted him to OC, correct, to try and keep him. Yep. Uh, A month later, Tim Harris goes to UCF uh, to be the co-offensive coordinator and running backs coach. After a year at UCF, so this current offseason, they promoted him to assistant head coach, co-OC, running backs coach. Um, So all this is to say he's obviously uh, on a fast ascension say meteoric rise in the college coaching ranks right and and people are trying to keep him where he is right by by giving him these titles and presumably giving him raises with those titles um but anyways he's a miami hurricane former miami hurricane track star he's in the um hall of fame for those track efforts he's the brother of former hurricane corner brandon harris Um, and, you know, look, my take, I think, I think this is an upgrade at running backs coach. Um, and, and I like the idea of, uh, potentially marrying the power spread run elements that Gus Malzahn is famous for with this Shannon Dawson offense. Um, I think it's another, another guy with good, smart ideas in the room. Um, and I think the potential is off the charts.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I love the Tim Harris jr. Hiring, uh, David, I think that's, I mean, I feel like that was the name that like, you know, I think we both kind of went like circled really quickly, like in this, in this running backs coach, uh, process, because it just felt like such a good fit. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think Tim Harris, like, I mean, for all the reasons you mentioned, I mean, he's definitely someone well-respected in, in Dade County. I think that obviously helps with, all the local high school coaches, you know, really in South Florida, uh, the Harris family is just a big, you know, it's it's a big South Florida football family. You mentioned Brandon Harris. He's the cornerbacks coach at FAU. I believe you got his dad, Ice Harris, who's back at Booker T Washington. I believe also, also spent time at, I think he was at on the Miami staff for a little bit. yeah. Um, and then he was like the head coach at Florida Memorial, you know, so tried, yep. you know, dipped his toes into the college ranks back at there. So, you know, I just think that this is a, Again, and I think Tim Tim Harris Jr. has you know paved his way in the college coaching community, and uh, these are rare. These are rare. Uh, these are rare. I, I feel like you know trajectories in terms of just like a guy get, gets to FIU, you know, goes to UCF, collects all those titles, and then now you know at Miami. So I'm um, really excited about Tim Harris Jr. I know just you know I think he's a he's just going to be a strong recruiter of the position as well. And again, I think uh, you know coming from you know getting a taste of that Gus Malzahn. Uh, you know, kind of offense and, uh, you know, all those types of things, uh, I, I think is 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 going to be a, a nice little, again, addition to whatever it is that Miami's going to do on offense.
1: And then wide receivers coach at the time of this recording still open. Um, you know, I don't know if we necessarily have like breaking news here or anything. Um, I, I am under the impression that Shannon Dawson is going to have a pretty big say in who the hire is which makes sense because in this air raid offense, I think you do need a receivers coach that can understand and teach the intricacies of of playing the air raid from the receiver position. Um, But, you know, I think the names that we're kind of aware of, you know, Leonard Hankerson, who I know, Gabby, you put out there two or three weeks ago that he was a guy that interviewed with Miami, probably, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but my understanding is he would be the number one target for Mario um, if he could land him. I'm not sure that's going to happen, but never rule Mario Cristobal out of any recruitment. Uh, Leonard Hakerson, of course is now the San Francisco 49ers wide receivers coach. Um, and then Kevin Beard, former hurricane currently at Toledo is an option. Uh, Lonnie Galloway who coached with Shannon Dawson, Lonnie Galloway's now at North Carolina. So that would make sense from a continuity standpoint. Uh, Lonnie Galloway, also a very good recruiter. Uh, I think they kicked the tires a little bit on T. Martin, but I don't know how viable that option is either. He's currently, uh, well, he's trying to find out if he's going to be retained with the Ravens. I'm under the impression he will be. Um, And then you dropped kind of a new name uh, on Tuesday uh gabby how about you go into that
0: yeah uh a name that i you know i believe interviewed for the wide receiver coach opening on tuesday is uh again uh mentioned t martin uh same organization baltimore ravens past game specialist which is a pretty cool title uh keith williams uh so he was a former nebraska wide receiver coach i think he was there for a few years during the matt riley years he also spent some time at tulane at fresno state uh, you know, he was also described as someone who's been a personal wide receiver coach for guys like Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams. And uh, if you go through the Twitter sphere, uh, you know, you will find the clip of Tyreek Hill, I think it was before one of the Kansas City the Super Bowls, of of Tyreek Hill talking about uh, you know, work. He's, I think LaDainian, I mean, watched the video this morning. Uh, watch, he's sitting down with LaDainian Tomlinson and Deion Sanders and LaDainian Tomlinson asks them, oh, did you have like, you know, a personal wide receiver coach or anything like that? And he talks about how he connected with Keith Williams and how Keith Williams just kind of basically helped him go from a raw receiver who's just extremely athletic and basically refined him into a route runner and guys that and, it's, and as someone who basically got into like the nitty gritty of what it means to really be a wide receiver in the NFL. So uh, Tyreek Hill, you know, credits Keith Williams with a part of his development, which I think is a which is interesting. So again, I think uh, Keith Williams, someone that's a a teacher of the position, someone that pros trust uh, to train with. And uh, again, I think he's just another, he's another name that's in the mix for this wide receiver coaching job.
1: Yeah. And we've kind of learned, right. um, these Mario Cristobal coaching searches can, he likes to talk to a lot of different guys. And so, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot more names that, we don't know about, and there's going to be more names that he is interviewing in the future as well. So uh, it's definitely an important hire. As we mentioned earlier, uh, landing elite receiver talent is going to be key in this tenure. Uh, next question comes from South Florida Child, who asks, what is the reason behind the defensive tackle recruiting? Is 2024 a make-or-break year at defensive tackle? So, um, I believe what the last two cycles, and you kind of give a pass for the 2022 cycle because that was a transition cycle, but the last two cycles, Gabby, it's fair to say one de- or two defensive tackles, so one in each cycle was signed. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So, you know, from a numbers perspective, needs to be improved. You know, look, for me, you know, Gabby, if you disagree with us, you can make it clear. But I think in a lot of ways, it comes back to the position coach and the effort in recruiting there. Uh, and so I think that's an area that needs to be improved this year. Uh, you know, Joe Salavea does have his Polynesian connections, and he's a big reason why Francis Maui Goa is at Miami, and his brother, Francisco Maui So he's definitely going to make good on those type of connections. But is he the best fit to recruit defensive tackles in the Southeast? I think that's a fair question to have. So that's where I stand with it, Gabby. I don't know where you want to take it.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, look, I think any any gripes about defensive tackle recruiting are all fair. Again, you land one in that 2022 cycle, Ahmad Moten, who, looked. Again, I I mean reviews coming out of him or from him. Both you know, guys from,
1: are fine. Like yeah, both the guys they've added. Yeah,
0: exactly. Both of them, I think, will end up being fine. I mean, Mod Moton apparently having a good off season. Again, he has like you know the you know body type that Miami's kind of looking to add. I think Joshua Horton has you know again. I think he has a really high ceiling. But look, I, I think we can call it what it is. I think this is a position that if Miami wants to recruit it at a really high level, I think Mario Cristobal has to be extremely extremely involved in the process, because again, that, I mean, I, I think that's fine. That's what he does. And that's what he right. needed to do at some positions. But again, I think that, well, again, when you're talking about attracting the, the Southeast, uh, you know, kind of just like the, the area, what, the what a prospect looks like in the Southeast is not what a prospect looks like in the Pacific Northwest. So I think that, you know, when, I think Mario Cristobal just needs to be very hands-on, um, all that type of stuff. They always have Jason Taylor in their back pocket, you know, all those types of things. I just think they need to be really, really, really hands-on when it comes to that interior defensive line. And look, I think that that's exactly what's going to happen here in that 2024 cycle. I think they understand that it's a priority. I mean, in the por- in the transfer portals, like every time a defensive tackle who fit a certain, you know, who – body type hit the portal. I mean, Miami was basically interested, you know, they, they know they need to add those types of bodies to the roster. And again, best way to do it is through high school recruiting in terms of long-term development and, and the overall program, uh, which has been proven uh, by, you know, the, the nation, you know, the top programs in college football. Uh, so, I mean, look, just a couple of names to throw out there. David Stone at IMG Academy priority target. He's coming down March 4th, Aiden Breland, who's at uh matter day out in California big, big uh, defensive line target. He's coming down March 4th for junior day. T.A. Cunningham, who's originally from Georgia playing at Los Alamitos in California. He's coming down for junior day. Look, they're going to, they're going to shoot their shots at a lot of uh, big time defensive tackles and kind of just going through their board. I mean, it's a lot of, you know, 6'3", 300 pounds, 6'4", 285. You know, those are, they're definitely identifying uh, uh, the right amount of guys and going after them. Landon Marshall, uh, who I believe is out of Alabama, Dominic McKinley, who uh, I think is a is is a Louisiana kid who's a a really really big one. Uh, he's someone that they really really like. Um, I mean there there's plenty. I mean just kind of going off the dome, but uh, there's they're definitely prioritizing the interior defensive line, and uh, I do think that that's a a position that is gonna get, I don't know about fixed, but I think it's gonna be recruited at a higher level this cycle, or at least that's gonna be the intention.
1: E class zero nine, asks. On offense and defense, which players would you guys think would benefit most from the coordinator? So the coordinator changes with their systems. You want to go first, Gabby?
0: Yeah, I'll take some, I mean, some defensive guys. And I feel like this, I mean, pretty similar to what we were talking about with some of the other guys, I mean, I guess breakout guys, but like I'm excited about, about like what like Akeem Mesador can do in this defensive system. Like, I, I think he's someone again that still has a lot more to be tapped. You mentioned Leonard Taylor, you mentioned Nigel e. Kelly. Those were a couple guys that I that I wrote down. I mean, Francisco Malagowa. We're talking about linebackers and how. You know how you know Marshall produced you know a strong inside linebacker. I think Francis, Francisco Malagoa is someone who could really benefit from the system. I think he proved uh, you know during his second season at Washington State that he can definitely you know have those moments where he's playing at a really high level. And I think uh, there's still more to be had there. To be had there. Wesley the another one I'm really excited about on the defensive side of the ball. And then on offense, like I mean, I mean again, like you said, hanging through. I mean, Tyler Van Dyke, I think, is the person that benefits the most on offense yes. from this new system. I think that again, it's, it, it's catered, it's going to be catered to him, his skill set, what he can do. I think him and Shannon Dawson uh, are potentially really good fits. He's not totally Rhett Lashley, but he's definitely not Josh Gaddis. So, um, right. you know, I do think that th- I think Tyler Van Dyke to me is the person that benefits most on offense.
1: I agree. Again, I think that move was made to win now or have immediate year over year results. And, you know, the best way to do that is to get the most out of Tyler Van Dyke. And, you know, I do think this Shannon Dawson offense is simpler in that it defines reads in a half field type of way, going from one to two type of reads. That's not hard to execute, which he did kind of execute in the Rhett Lashley type of system. It's just a little different. Um you know, other guys on offense, I think that could benefit from this style of offense. I love the idea of in these spread offenses uh, having a big physical back. So you spread out a defense and uh, you, you basically run at them downhill with a 220 pound back. So I think a guy like a Mark Fletcher or a Travante Citizen potentially even a Don Cheney Jr., I think can really benefit from running into some light boxes um, in this offense. I think Nathaniel Joseph, you know, uh, with this yeah. offensive change, he's at the same starting point as a lot of the other receivers, right? Agreed.
0: Yep. Agreed.
1: And he's a smart guy uh, that plays the slot and the Air Raid system rewards smart receivers that can read and react to coverages find the space and it rewards slot receivers. Um, So I think he's a guy that could really benefit. I also think Mike Redding, the third might be a random guy, but again, he's a highly intelligent player um, that I think can benefit from playing in this type of system. Defensively, I'll go with James Williams. Um, I think he needs a coach that can pour into him and get the most out of his traits at safety. Um, and I, I think you know, under Coach Steele, I think he might have viewed him as a guy that needed to play linebacker or move up a level, and there there might be something to that long term. But if he is if he is currently your playing safety for you, then you got to get the most out of him there. Um, and it seems like Coach Guidry is really good at getting the most out of the guys in his back seven. Um, That's what he did at Marshall, at least. And I think there's a lot of meat left on the bone in terms of developing James Williams. Yeah, I like that. All right, next question. Mr. Magic, who are your top guys at quarterback for Miami? And who are the quarterbacks you think Miami needs to hit on?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that there are a few uh, you know, kind of standing names for Miami guys that I think, uh, you know, if you're a listener of this podcast or you're on the website that I think you're pretty familiar with at this point, you know, I think, I think Aaron Noland, you know, is still someone who, who really should be considered a priority target, uh, in this, you know, you know, for Shannon Dawson in in this cycle. Again, I think we've said extensively how uh, we feel like Miami needs to land a, a pretty elite arm. And I think Aaron Noland has, uh, you know a lot of the tools that I think Miami's looking for in this cycle. So I think Air Nolan is is still one of those top guys. Another name I think uh, you know I think we, we've spoken about before is Luke Moga, who's out of Arizona. He visited in January. Uh, again, maybe more of a, a project type or just not as you know refined as some of these other passes. Uh, 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 passers a uh, high upside. Uh, has a 10, nine, three in the hundred meters to his name. And I think his goal now is to get down to a 10, seven. He's like running track right now. Uh, again, big time, you know, athletic upside guy. And I think he has a, an interesting arm. You know, I, I think he has a really big arm. Uh, you know, I think he's maybe a little bit turnover prone again, it's still a little bit raw, a little bit green for sure as a passer, but I think uh, he has the tools that could be, you know, that, that he could be really, really good. So I think I'm, I'm pretty interested by uh, with Luke Moga as well a couple new names. I mean, Shannon Dawson finally was able to, uh, you know, kind of get into offering some quarterbacks. He offered two that, honestly, you know, I, I can see being good system fits. One of them is Marcos Marcos Davila. He's out of Midland, Texas. So I guess it's like West Texas. Uh, he's committed to TCU. I don't know how much longer he's going to be committed to TCU. I think that, uh, you know, he's definitely looking around at other programs and uh, I'm not sure he's going to, you know, stick around on that one. Maybe he does, but I don't get the sense that he's going to you know, stay committed to TCU, uh, you know, throughout the course of the cycle. So I do think he's a, you know, relatively available quarterback, you know, six foot three, you know, 200 plus pounds. I do think he's kind of like, you know, similar, you know, I think a good fit in terms of just being like a one, two read guy. Uh, he's a big body who can kind of move the pocket a little bit, has kind of like a funky throw style kind of reminds me of like Taylor Martinez, like the Nebraska quarterback back in the day. Like, it's just kind of a strange mechanical release but uh you know i just talking to people in in the great state of texas uh you know they really they're they're really really high on marcos marcos davila so i think he's an interesting name and then uh another one my that shannon dawson offered that's jake merklinger out of savannah georgia and uh you know i'm I, i think the tape is pretty good again he's playing in a you know that i guess what is a southeast georgia very very southeast georgia and uh you know i think that obviously competition may be a concern but i think the tools that he shows his ability to escape the pocket uh you know kind of move around uh make throws you know kind of off platform also just kind of sit back there uh deliver the ball downfield throw some strikes uh maybe someone that we would ideally like to see throw in person or just kind of get a better grasp of who he is you know maybe on a more a deeper competitive field but uh, I think Jake Merklinger has a lot of really really interesting tools so those are those are just a few quarterbacks on my radar right now that I think uh, you know again real in terms of realistic and uh, you know maybe potentially available that I think Miami fans should be aware of to this point
1: good stuff I'm a big Air Nolan guy just based off his high school tape yeah um, so he's the guy that intrigues me the most I'll admit This episode is also brought to you by
0: Midway Sports, your one-stop shop for all of your sporting good needs, located just two miles south of the University of Miami. This locally owned small business has everything you would need to gear up for every sport. Their stocked up men's, women's, and kids selections has you and your family covered for all of your outdoor needs. Use promo code SMOKE15 for 15% off your online order at midwaysports.com.
1: Are you a business owner or manager in need of seasonal or temporary staff? Let the folks at LT Pro Enterprises assist. The folks at LT Pro Enterprises can help you find laborers for your business in the state of Florida with an expanding footprint to other states as well. Reach out to Lionel Torres at Torres Lionel1, the number one, at gmail.com. LT Pro Enterprises your source for all of your staffing and labor needs. Uh, Ethan 26 asks any insight as to the mood amongst the offensive players since Shannon Dawson was announced. So, you know, just the feedback I've gotten, and it's very early. So, you know, I just, I feel like coach Dawson has made a nice first impression on the guys. Um, you know, they're doing a little off season work already. Um, you know, just amongst the players organizing themselves, uh, you know, as they try and understand the principles of this offense. And the feedback I'm getting there is that the system is pretty friendly in terms of ease of picking up. So, um, you know, kind of the things you would assume to be the case are the case. And, uh, you know, Coach Dawson's a positive guy and comes across as being excited to be at Miami. So that's just kind of the little bit of feedback I've gotten, Gabby. I don't know if there's anything you want to add.
0: No, uh, similar. I I feel like I've gotten pretty similar feedback that, you know, so far, you know, people have, you know, had great things to say about about Coach Dawson. And uh, again, same deal from like the quarterback's perspective that, I think some were maybe surprised by like how maybe quickly they're able to kind of pick it up and stuff like that. Not saying it's all obviously done or anything like that, but I think just like the principles of it uh, have been pretty easy to kind of, you know, get in, you know, get on a roll with Uh, again, I think they're doing like some individual stuff where, you know, I think the general feeling is that, you know, the quarterbacks have been able to kind of, you know, you know, get where all this is going pretty, pretty, uh, you know, easily so far. So I think that's good. Uh, you know, I, I do think that sense of simplicity and uh, again, kind of going back to the Rhett Lashley, you know, era, I mean, I remember didn't will Mallory say, yeah, yeah, I learned the whole playbook in like two weeks or something like that. And obviously I'm not saying that this is that. But I do think that when you're a part of this, you know, maybe a more like, you know, again, air quotes, uh, air raid offenses, it's a, a lot of maybe just like variations of similar sets and stuff like that. And you can kind of do multiple things based on, you know, the looks and all that stuff. So I do think it's something that for quarterbacks that obviously are sharp and, and kind of get it, that they could kind of pick up on, on what's expected of them, uh, you know, relatively quickly compared to something that's maybe more pro style or requires a lot of checks or stuff like that. So I think that this is going to be something that's going to be fun for, for the quarterbacks and fun for these guys to kind of pick up on.
1: Alkane asks, what are the reasons or excuses for this team to not win at least eight games this upcoming season? What are the reasons not being addressed as we speak?
0: You can take, I mean, you want to tackle that one?
1: I know like for me, depth, the depth to me is still pretty average, AKA not good enough. Um, and, you know, if we're talking like specific positions, you know, outside of the obvious, like wide receiver talk, uh, you know, I, I do think defensive tackle is kind of an area I'm monitoring because, you know, they, they haven't replaced the Daryl Jackson type of guy. And to me, that's a hole that needs to be addressed um, in terms of a uh, run stopping big body type of defensive tackle. Um, I wish there was kind of a clear cut defined lead running back. I don't know if that is something that can emerge this spring. Um, I don't know if the cornerback position in general is good enough. Um, so yeah, I mean, those are kind of the things I don't know if it's like things that people don't necessarily see coming.
0: Right. Uh, but like like injury could be a reason this team doesn't win eight games or something right. like that. Like but that because goes of back to the depth. depth, yeah, that goes to the depth.
1: So, you know, the, there's a lot of things that go into navigating a successful season. Uh, injuries were definitely, I think you could argue, the number one factor that derailed last season. So, hopefully, Miami takes some steps to avoid that situation again, which I think they did specifically with improving the offensive line, improving the protection Tyler Van Dyke receives, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what I would say to that. Uh, Mitch Good asks, anything new on Miami from the conference realignment front, rumors or anything like that? So, you know, I I do think Miami is constantly exploring options. Um, but here's the bottom line to me in terms of just what I know. Um, I do think in the short term, it's hard to see a path for Miami to get out of the ACC. It would take a ton of money to do, and that doesn't even include the money that it would take uh, devoted to litigation and, and legal fees, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, do I think a conference like the Big Tech 10 would have interest in a school like Miami, yes, but how realistic is that in the short term? I'm not so sure. Um, I think the short-term focus, quite frankly, for Miami is number one, getting better, so improving the results on the field. Miami is going to be worth more to the ACC or ESPN if they are good. Uh, They're going to be worth more to the Big Ten or whoever if they're good. So I think that's first. Uh, Number two, you know, I think in the short term, again, this is short term. So I think in the short term, Miami kind of views it as like, we got to get the most we can out of our ACC deal. And the best way to do that is come back to the negotiating table with ESPN and see if they'll do something in good faith with us because of, you know, they, they, recognize that we do bring value to them so the way that would happen from an ACC perspective Clemson of course remains as a good team uh Florida State needs to continue to be good and build on this you know solid year they had this year then I think you need at least one of these type of schools you know and Miami would be included in this they need Miami to be good but like North Carolina, Louisville, Virginia, Virginia Tech, NC State, to level up and kind of be a consistent nine-ish win type of team. Um, You know, to me, I think it's fair to say from a Miami perspective right now, in the short term, it's a both things can be true statement. Um, Is the ACC lagging behind other conferences in terms of payouts, and is that frustrating? Yes. Is, is Miami worth more than what they are getting paid, however, by the ACC? I think it's fair to say, if we're being honest, what Miami's payout currently is this year from the ACC is fair market value in terms of judging it by the results they deliver. So all this stuff is tracked. And let's face it, Miami went five and seven this past year. And how many games, Gabby, were on Bally Sports Network this past year for Miami? It was like two or three. It was too
0: many, like way too many. Like, Bally Sports is not going to exist in like a year. Or so that's troublesome. Right.
1: So, Miami's, that's to say, this past season, Miami didn't really bring much value to the ACC. And so it's kind of foolish to, if you're Miami, raise a big stink about the revenue payout you are getting but you can also recognize, Hey, other conferences are getting way more than us. Um, so, you know, I think there's, I think an uneven revenue distribution is a potential solution in the short term, you know, where you pay teams based on results, similar to like, like the easiest example I could provide that way is like premier league soccer, where you, you, You win first place, you get the highest payout, et cetera, et cetera. Um, You know, I I think you can try and convince Notre Dame to join the ACC. Of course, that would be an absolute game changer. Um, And sorry, I'm playing hurt, so I just had to cough. Um, You know, I think it's important, of course, for Miami to figure this out, though. The school is finally investing heavily in the program, which is necessary and good, awesome to see. But as things are right now, it is not sustainable uh, long term. They do need to get the television revenue up in order to compete at the highest level with these other programs that also uh, invest heavily into football. So I do think schools like North Carolina, Clemson, Florida State, Miami are in alignment in terms of, uh, you know, if they're going to explore options elsewhere, they will keep each other in the loop. Um, because I, I do think right now the best chance at getting out of the ACC is doing it as a large group. Virginia is also a school that is viewed as highly attractive. Um other conferences so all that is to say you know in terms of short-term conference realignment i think it's hard to see anything happening in the short term but do i think like the acc survives until 2036 uh which is the length of the current tv contract deal i have a hard time seeing that so um they will have to get creative with other solutions and also within that i think the general product of acc football needs to be approved and miami plays a big role in that plays a big factor in that so that's all i got there um timmy teabags asks how does the new nil law passed in florida affect recruiting is it better or worse for miami
0: yeah i mean so i, I Honestly, I don't have like a great grasp on like the, I don't know. I feel like I'm not good at this like type of stuff, but it seems to me like, you know, basically the coaches can now facilitate NIL deals. Uh, to the players somewhat somewhat yeah in in a way so i don't know how much it like directly i don't know because i feel like they still have nil you know part of like the visit is like you know they will have like an nil seminar where they will basically express like you know this is how our players are doing with nil and all that stuff i don't know how much it helps or i don't think it would hurt in any way for miami to basically be able to say like oh like life wallet is a good is that basically your understanding of it david like they can basically say Um, life wallet is like you know the place where our players are getting a bunch of NIL stuff, or you know, I don't. I, I, so I don't...
1: the reason this this change was made is because of the Jaden Rashada Gator Collective fiasco, right? And so technically, you know, the Gator Collective can't discuss what they agree upon with the UF Athletic Department or the the football people in the athletic department. Now, that line of communication, I believe, can happen. Uh, And, you know, I think in general, this helps the university of Florida the most because it was such a messy disaster situation with their collective, you know, who's an entity that isn't associated with the university, but it is. And so instead of just dealing with all that blurriness, it allows you to kind of bring in a Gator Collective type of thing or whatever in-house. Um, and so I think the University of Florida, their president, their athletic director really pushed on this to change quickly. Um, so it did. And so, you know, I, I do think it helps them the most just because of it was a disaster. Um, but I do think it's like a rising tide lifts all boats situation. I think it's good for all the schools in the state because it's the way it should be more of like an in-house type of situation where that communication can't happen. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that, that makes more sense to me.
1: So, yeah. Um, I don't know if it's like, I mean, it will impact Miami of course, because it allows more, um, you know, maybe
0: transparency in the process.
1: Yeah, it allows you just to facilitate deals and just, you know, it can be like a normal conversation rather than you had a tiptoe around some conversation. So um, overall, I think it's a good thing, uh, the, the change. Um, and the last question comes from S Short 33, who asks, what is your favorite mark like? mark light shake flavor
0: yeah i mean i feel like i'm just like a basic like oreo guy like i feel like anywhere i go i just kind of get an oreo shake but i was just combing through like the actual flavors like on the mark light shake twitter account the the columbus sounds pretty good it's it's double oreos double sprinkles i'm a i'm a rainbow sprinkles guy i'm not afraid to admit that wow and uh the double the double oreo double double sprinkles maybe it's chocolate sprinkles i don't know i mean they're all chocolate sprinkles but
1: they taste different
0: no they i don't, don't think so right? i think yeah. it's all i think it's a mental thing but like it they're all is. they're all chocolate sprinkles but they're just rainbow sprinkles regardless i'm just like you know i i i'm not afraid to say i like rainbow sprinkles on my ice cream or like my shakes or whatever yeah. you know it's just how it is so what so is the columbus double oreo double sprinkles that sounds like if i'm going to a yeah. game like that's probably the one i'm getting if not i'm probably getting the, the j-row which is a. Yeah, I, I it's uh I think it's chocolate ice cream with Oreo and fudge. Yeah, I think that's probably the one I would go with. But the Columbus sounds pretty fire too.
1: So when I was a student, the one I would get the most was the grasshopper, which is chocolate m- mint, the chocolate mint shake. Uh, so you're just big,
0: a, you're you're a mint ice cream guy. I mean, that's just like I'm a big student- mint
1: chocolate chip guy. Okay, yeah, so I like that one. Um, so like that's the named shake I like. But in terms of, like, the regular shakes, um, I'm a big, like, Orange Sickle fan. And okay. so the Orange Freeze. That sounds good. Like, I, I would try know, that. I don't know if that makes me like an old man. No, it my, doesn't. Because uh, I just find them refreshing and tasty. So, yeah,
0: that, I, I think that, that's one, like, if I attended multiple games this year, like, I, at one point, I would probably try the Orange Freeze.
1: It's good stuff. But yeah, I mean, if if y'all haven't had a Mark Light milkshake, what are you doing? You got, so the Masters has the pimento cheese sandwiches. The Dodgers have the Dodger dog, right? Yeah. Yep. Wimbledon has strawberries and cream. Kentucky Derby has mint juleps. In South Florida, what's more iconic in no. terms of food consumption than the Mark Light milkshake?
0: Right, I, at least at a sporting event, it's got to be right. the Mark
1: Light shake. Right, right, right. At a sporting event, so yeah, get you a Mark Light milkshake. Baseball season's here, and uh, basketball teams rounding into form. Uh, in balling turn, tournament. They, time, they yeah. have, they have,
0: they have me kind of hooked, man. Like I, I'm They're at fun. the point where, like, if Miami, if, like the men's basketball team is playing, like I'm gonna go out of my way to watch it. So, I, really I, fun I don't, team. I don't get, la- I don't get that way with a lot of stuff these days because a lot of stuff going on just in life with, a, with a, with a, I don't know, infant now. I don't know. I feel like I can't call her a newborn anymore. Um, but when UM basketball is playing, like I am watching that. So a lot of fun. Last night's game, the win against Virginia Tech, kind of a grinder, but it was a, uh, you know, yeah. find a way to win on road the road. Win. And uh, yep. Virginia Tech, a ruckus environment always, regardless of sport. So that was a, that was a nice one.
1: So we'll have plenty to talk about here. Uh, spring football, also right around the corner. Um, appreciate Evan for listening. Again, apologies. Dealing with a little minor cold. So, toughen it out a little bit with some, like, I don't know. I don't want to be disgusting. But, uh, plum in the throat. So, appreciate Evan for listening. Thanks again to all our sponsors. And uh, till next time, take care.